everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Except today, not Nikki Nellis. I have to say, it is nice to be old enough to not only have my son Sam on the air, but my son, who is a spectacular bartender mixologist who happens to be with an amazing operation. Why don't you talk about uh, uh, our lion? Yeah. Um, you know, it's been a while since I was on the show. Life changes. And so now I am uh, at Silver Lion in the Riggs Silver Hotel. Um, and um, very happy there. We just won a nice uh, award at Tales of the Cocktail for uh, Best U.S. Hotel Bar. That ain't bad. It's not bad at all. Not bad at all. Well, I'm glad to have you because uh, several, several of our guests have subject matter that's right up your alley. So we'll be getting into that. So today uh, we're going to be joined, of course, by Deb Moser from Central Farm Markets. National Farmers Market Week uh, starts August 1st, Monday. Uh, and actually, it's a two-week celebration. It runs through the 17th. But we celebrate the farmers and all they do for us and all that they bring us. Um, Antoine Robert, am I saying it right, Antoine? Yeah. Okay, exactly. Antoine Robert is co-owner of Distillerie du Provence. Uh, they make fabulous absinthe. We'll be sampling some of the absinthe. I want to say it right. Absinthe, absinthe. Is that? Am I saying it? Yeah, right? you say it perfectly. Oh, oh boy, I love you. You're my favorite guest already. <laughs> and we're going to be learning about uh, how to make the absinthe ritual, which is a cocktail to remember. Chad Sparrow is with Common Plate Hospitality Group. I believe he's one of the founders. Are you not? That is correct. Uh, yep. That's what I thought. Uh, they launched Mason Social about uh, six years, seven years ago. Uh, in Alexandria, and they expanded the restaurant group in 2018 with a Mexican concept called Urbano 116 uh, and Augie's Muscle House and Beer Garden. Uh, for Urbano, the team has its own tequila, and along with absinthe, we're, we're going to be tasting tequila, and I'll probably have to walk home, but I can't wait. Chad joins us in a few minutes. Lee Phillips and Solomon Mangum uh, founded Next Day Original in 2020. It's a suite of all-natural uh, productivity and recovery products, treating the core issues of hangover. So as interesting as the product is, it sounds like Lee and Solomon have a lot to confess, and we'll be talking to them shortly. And uh, Oklahoma has a lot more going for it than gen- just wind whistling down the plane. Does anybody remember that from? Yeah, thank Such you. Such a dated first. reference. You're so But old. it's got a 2022 James Beard Award semifinalist for Outstanding Chef. Uh, we're going to be joined by chef owner Andrew Black, who runs a show at Gray Sweater which is a tasting menu only restaurant uh, in Oklahoma City. And uh, if you read about it, I mean, you'll, you're salivating already. So I can't wait to talk to him as well. But first, let's talk to Deborah Moser, Central Good Farm Markets. Morning. Let's celebrate the farmers. So tell us about National Farmers Market Week. Oh, wow. This has been going on for quite a while. We celebrate it every August and we just love our farmers and we love our farm markets. And I can spew forth all the uh, statistics, but there's no spewing forth on this show. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, well, and and also I need to be invited for the tequila tasting, please. <laughs> but um, we we really want to talk about the farmers and what they do. We have farm farmers that come in. They travel two and three hours one way just to get to the farm markets. Everything they bring has been picked and fresh and beautiful. And so this is our opportunity to get the message out to all those folks out there. Please visit your farm markets. And this year, because we have a new market at Half Street, we're going to celebrate big down there. Um, we're going to have we're starting this week with Half Street Ultimate Recipe Exchange. You go to the market. You have two weekends to do this. Pick up your ingredients. Make a wonderful dish. Post it on your social media. Tag us. And then we're going to judge the entries through WooCommerce. And those winners are going to get prizes and we're going to post the recipes up on the website. So that's the first week. Coming the second week, we have all sorts of cool things, including a dance party on Half Street, um, glitter tattooing and all sorts of fun. And of course, all the vendors will be there, all the farmers. Well, so we're celebrating in a big way. We want you to come out and have fun. You had me at glitter tattoo. Um Let's talk a little I bit. I get to do that to you. We got a couple of minutes because being a farmer is hard work dawn to dusk. And, and you know, I say that as a, am I a city slicker? As a city guy who's yeah. shoveled a little manure and mucked out some stalls and that's about it. I mean, farming is tough. During the, you know, we had, we had tough years uh, during the pandemic and you guys stayed the course and your, a lot of your farmers did. How, I mean, how did they, they must have had to um, innovate in order to stay alive and stay in business. Tell us a little well, bit about some of that. You know, the interesting thing was they had food when some of the grocery market shelves were empty and people felt safer coming out and shopping outside. So it really was quite the boon for the farmers. They, they really, um, it was an uptick, but you're right. It is a hard life. Last week, we had farmers, you know, they're out there seven days a week. There is no break for them. And right. those farmers that had animals, that raise animals, they had a tough time in the in the extreme heat. They have to be there all the time, make sure everything's okay. Same with the crops. They've got to water them. They've got to pick them. And, you know, Mother Nature is not being kind to us. No, it's so. probably going to get even more challenging, too. Right. Well, uh, so let's end, farmers, we applaud them. Let's end on a good note. Tell everybody where Central Farm Markets can be found and when and where on the Internet. Sure. You can find all four markets at centralfarmmarkets.com, and all the hours and locations are posted there. All right. God bless. We'll see you next Thank week. Thank you. All right. Have bye, Deb. Okay. All right, Antoine, step up to the mic here. So, you're the co-owner of Distilleries de Provence. Is that a family business? You're rather a young guy, so how did <laughs> that is, happen? It is. Uh, I work with my uh, father and my brother, uh, and my brother in Portugal were products in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, my father really, uh, from the 70s, actually uh, uh, took this uh, very, very small distillery at the time uh, to make something, uh, well, uh, from the local to something national and international, then uh, relaunching Absinthe, that our 120 years old distillery used to produce uh, before the, the prohibition. And yeah, now we are making um, aperitif wine, pastis, absinthe, uh, gin, and uh, exporting uh, also um, in the US. All right, I have one question. I'm going to turn this over to Sam because he knows more about it than I ever will. What is absinthe and why is it so. Um 
controversial, I guess, because there are all those rumors about if you drink too much, you know, you hallucinate and all of that. Yeah, absinthe has one of the most interesting and richest uh, history among uh, among uh, spirits. It's um, herbal spirits uh, made mainly from wormwood, which is a plant that grow in the east part of France, in the mountain part uh, of France and Switzerland. Uh, it's um, it has been invented uh, in the 18th century by. Um, uh, Swiss, uh, Swiss uh, woman herbalist uh, and a French doctor called uh, Doctor Ordinaire, and uh, they, it was an elixir at the time prescribed to the the patient of the doctor. Hundred years later, in the 19th century, it became the most popular drink, uh, and it has been uh, forbidden for uh, well, good and bad reason. Good reason to struggle against alcoholism. Uh, but let's say bad reason because uh, it was not more dangerous than any other strong alcohol. Uh, that's why it has been allowed again uh, in, uh, um, well, almost 80 years uh, later. And with Absente, uh, we have been the first one to, to reintroduce it uh, on the market. Well, you know, you must make drinks with it. Yeah, we do. We make a lot of drinks uh, using Absinthe. I'm definitely a fan of an Absinthe frappe. Um, and an absinthe uh, frappe. It sounds like an absinthe milkshake. Yeah, it's not quite that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Here, but, kid. <laughs> um, one thing that I always think is interesting is that uh, uh, one of the reasons that people thought that there was hallucination uh, was mostly that there was all this like really really cheap stuff that the artist could uh, afford. And uh, it's not that absinthe has a problem, it's that cheap stuff has a problem. So exactly. <laughs> Toulouse-Lautrec only thought he was short? Yeah, exactly. Absinthe? Yeah. I, see. All right. uh, I have a quick question about absinthe. Is the base spirit made from wormwood, or is it a neutral grain that's then being infused with wormwood? Yeah, that's, that's it. We use neutral, uh, it can be grain or beetroot uh, mm -hmm. alcohol, uh, doesn't really matter actually, and then... Uh, we infuse um, the um, the wormwood and other botanicals, mm -hmm. anise, peppermint, uh, lemon balm, and other um, other botanicals, uh, just 24 hours into alcohol before you distill it. Mm -hmm. In general, it's, it takes uh, two hours, uh, and uh, and then yeah, basically you have your your absinthe. All right. Oh. Let's start drinking. Uh, what's the per first thing you're gonna pour for us? All right. So we're gonna. We're gonna try. Uh, that's the absentee, uh, 110 proof. Uh, as as any absence, uh, uh, it has to be. Uh, My brain is gonna drink be absent. responsibly and also um, to uh, actually to have something refreshing, not too strong. Sorry for. No, that's all right. Uh, we gonna dilute right. it with water and to. Add some sugar. All so right. We're going to, when you're ready, you'll pass it around. Uh, let's start talking to Chad Sparrow, who's the founder and executive chef of Common Plate Hospitality. Chad, why don't you give us a little background on you and what what possessed you to start a restaurant group? Uh, sure. Yeah. So I, I actually went to culinary school, uh, Johnson & Wales. J&W. Um, yes, sir. Yep. I was in Charleston before uh, they uh, got rid of that campus. Um so down there, graduated, worked around around the city, um, the View Steakhouse in Keybridge Marriott, which is no longer there. I worked at uh, Clyde's Group for a while and um, basically got a little burnt out early on, uh, moved to New York, worked in restaurants up there, and kind of said, you know, I'm not sure that I want 
to stay in uh, just as, as a chef and, and let me try and explore something different. So I jumped into construction. Um, and uh, after a few years, I started a company with uh, my current partner, Larry Walston, um, a construction company, though, not restaurants. We were fortunate enough uh, after a few years to do do well, and I always wanted to get back into the restaurant business. So um, we uh, started the search. And uh, let me tell you, the search is not uh, easy when you don't have uh, restaurant ownership experience, if you know well, anything plus about that. Plus, square footage costs what it costs, so... Well, it's, yeah. it's basically, you know, nobody wants to talk to you at all. They're just kind of like, uh, yeah, no thanks. Uh, the risk is too high. So uh, we found this um, Mason Social, which is which is now Mason Social in, in North Old Town. Um, uh, the landlord, the most old school guy you'll ever, ever meet. And, uh, you know, he's paper checks, comes, gets it every every month, you know. Um, Sounds like the mob. Yeah, very similar, not far off. And so... <laughs> We he had a bunch of offers, but he was a principal guy and wouldn't let uh, wouldn't wouldn't talk to anybody because he felt like they were trying to big yeah, dog him or something like that. Yeah, so he was done with that. So we came over and we just kind of begged, and he he was uh, he owned a gas station uh, a couple doors down. We actually sat in the lawn chairs out front and listened to the same story that he'd tell us four hundred different times over and over. And finally, he said, "All right, you know, I'll give it to you." And he gave it to us, and then he told us we weren't allowed to pull a permit because that would ruin everything. Wait, I'm going to hold you on that because we got to go to commercial. When we come no back, we're going to we're going to shoot forward to present day because you got a lot to talk about with Urbano and all that. This is David and Samuel Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. Missing Nikki Nellis is at the beach. Lucky girl. We'll be right back after these words. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Sam Nellis. We just had a little sip of absinthe, and um, uh, I think my Tongue is going to be absent from I think my you got a little bit more hair on your chest. I do. Well, yes, of course. Um, anyways, we're talking to Chad Sparrow, who's the leader-in-chief at Common Plate Hospitality. Chad, let's shoot forward to present day uh, and talk about Urbano, because that's a really interesting story. When, when did it open? So we opened uh, Urbano 116 in Old Town uh, in 2018, um, and then we opened uh, Urbano Mosaic in 2020. But why Mexican? What? led you there so i actually that was my main focus uh uh in culinary school and, and what i'd always had a passion for was uh was southwestern tex-mex cuisine so i've traveled a lot in mexico and, and and really studied the cuisine so it was always a passion of mine and something that i really wanted to always do long and then time. one day you woke up and said let's make our own tequila yes i wish i actually made it i don't uh, <laughs> but we have an amazing partner that does and um it is uh, a reposado. It's it's aged ten months in uh, bourbon barrels. Where are they in Mexico? Uh, they're in Guadalajara, um, and uh, so we actually serve it uh, with a truffled chocolate that is made from uh, Mexican chocolate. So it includes um, so includes good. vanilla and and uh, and um, cinnamon and everything else. So I have some of those for you as well. So what is their? Pro- I mean. We've had people on before talking about tequila and, and, and the process. Is there anything different about what these folks do that makes you, your tequila stand out? So uh, El Tesoro is, is, the, uh, is the company that does the private label, and they, and they make tequila. Um, they're one of like four, I think, um, tequila makers that still use uh, some of the original, original processes of making tequila, which you know is very labor-intensive. Um, so yeah, it is, it is special in that way. And also, you know, it's special in the fact that it's one of a kind cause each one is our own barrel and you know, none, none, none are exactly alike. So it does make it unique. Yeah. Right. You don't know this. El Tesoro is an excellent brand, yes. um, that make sure that they're not 
you know, harvesting agave too young. They don't use processes that allow them to extract sugars, um, you know, in a way that is disrespectful to the produce. So the plant agave has to be kind of roasted too, doesn't it? Am I right about that? Uh, So, yeah, you need to apply heat to it. Uh, Generally, you need to apply some sort of heat to it in order to uh, transform the sugars into fermentable sugars. They're too complex. So that's where are. that's where it's kind of a dice roll, isn't it? I mean, you need a real pro to know when it's ready to take it off the heat. Oh yeah, you I, need yeah yeah you definitely need a pro. You need a pro at every step of the every step. of the yeah, exactly. process. <laughs> well, I, it is no joke. So all right, so with, uh, along with tequila, you've got um, uh, the you're you're opening up at the Heights Food Hall in Chevy Chase. Where is that? Well, it's right across the street from here, where is we that, are right is now. Is that so Chevy it's Chase right, collection? It's it, no, it's it's where um, it's the it's Wisconsin Place. So oh, it's okay. right across the street here, um, and yeah, so we're planning to open hopefully by the end of the year, and um, we've got uh, some amazing uh, partners. Um, we've got eight different food stalls that we're putting in there. So it's all you, all your concepts. No, no, no we have uh, six outside vendors. We're, so are you the landlord essentially? We're, I mean, well, we're, we're running a full service Urbano out of there. Uh-huh. We're running uh, the bar in the front. We're doing a speakeasy in the back. And then we're we're taking on two of the food Speakeasy. stalls. Right. Yeah, and then uh, and then we've leased out the the other six, uh, the other five, I should say, because that's where we're doing the competition. Yeah, well, you talk you, you that's a an oblique mention to, uh, of the culinary Shark Tank. What's that all about? Yeah, so we're actually uh, holding holding an event. We're calling it uh, Stall Wars, and we're basically going to give the opportunity to somebody that might not have that opportunity that has a great story that could cook great, hopefully, and has some uh, you know. Some understanding of, of being an entrepreneur. Um, and That's a great opportunity for somebody. Yeah, it really is because they're, they're going to get a fully built out, um, you know, paid for uh, brick and mortar location for them to come out and, and really show what they can do. And, you know, who, who knows uh, Sam, what, what can come from there. Yeah. Make a pasta. That's it. Mm-hmm. All right. But you've got some real home run hitters in this in this, in this this food hall. I'm just looking. Kevin Tien, Javier Fernandez. I mean, this did you go recruiting, or did people hear about it and come to you? We we definitely went recruiting a little bit. Uh, you know, we've got some uh, some amazing talent, James Beard guys, and and um, you know we're super excited. I love to bring, that James Beard guys. Yeah, you know, like, like Kevin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're super excited to just bring uh, you know a, a new a new vibrant food scene uh, to Chevy Chase where we think it really needs it. And two fifty barbecue. Well, this is it's going to be a great. When does that open up? Uh, so that opens, uh, like I said, the end of the year is, is what we're shooting for right now. All right. And talk to me. We've got about two minutes about the speakeasy because that sounds like fun. <laughs> so it's going to be called the Turncoat. Um, and uh, we're basing the, the the whole vibe is going to be based on, on um, the Prohibition era. There was actually reports uh, in Chevy Chase of, of um, liquor being moved on the old streetcars. So we really want to try to. I'm capture, sure that didn't happen. Yeah, no way. We we, we want to try to capture uh, some of that cool art and vibe in there. Uh, we'll have uh, you know some probably eight to ten menu items in there, and we're 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 uh, recruiting some uh, some high 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 level names in the DC food scene yet to be released. That's great. Well, and in the, in the I'm sorry, in the in the bar scene, not the food. That scene. sounds like fun. And this all opens up when? Uh, in end of the year. End of end the year. End, yeah, I know, but I mean, we're talking. To, is that Usually I mean, people say end of the year and then, you know, things get extended. But you're, It's you construction. Like we, we, we own the construction company, so I have a little bit of control. Oh. But uh, it's still, uh, 
It's still construction. Okay. So, right, but that's, that's the we'll goal. Forward to it. Supply, I was supply place, chain issues. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I was thinking of a place <laughs> to spend New Year's. So, All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> Tell everybody where they can find you guys uh, in the world and online. Sure. Uh, so commonplategroup.com is, is our website. Um, Urbano Mosaic in the Mosaic District. Urbano 116 in Old Town. Uh, Augie's Muscle House and Beer Garden in Old Town as well. In North Old Town, Mason Social. And we're coming soon to Annapolis. Potomac, of course, Chevy Chase, and Fairfax as well. Not bad for a guy who had to cut his first deal in a gas station. That's right. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks. All right, Antoine, back to you. Antoine Robert, uh, we are enjoying uh, absinthe. I'm trying not to enjoy it too much, but this is delicious. Uh, you know, I guess one of the questions I have, you said the distillery was a small one, and then your father took it over back in 19, the 70s and mm-hmm. all that. Why set up a you know a, a, an absinthe distillery there? Is there something about the you know the botanicals that are growing right around there that somebody was it a relative or just somebody else who said, "Gee, let's start." Actually, it's it's this area, the the upper Provence, especially around our town of Forcalquier, is has been well known for uh, the quality and the the diversity of its botanical uh, since uh, antiquity. Actually, because uh, you had people. Uh, um, harvesting the botanicals uh, there, um, and then uh, a few centuries later, selling it all over Europe uh, until the Middle East too, and uh, and then distillery appeared when the steel pots uh, were invented, and they start to distill those botanicals to make some medicinal uh, products, to make elixir, and then to make uh, uh, spirits, and uh, so we we are really the heir of that. Our distillery is 120 years. Uh, old, but uh, you had other distillery before. Now we are the only one in the in this area. Um, and and my 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 father that was from this uh, from this town only joined uh, the previous owner that was family friend, uh, associating with him, and then just uh, taking the, the 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 succession. Yeah. Huh. Right now we're drinking pastis, though. Yeah. Right? So, uh, so the first one was the the absence. Um, so. Um, the more uh, on to wormwood, anise, peppermint, and then you have our pastis, Henri Bardouin, uh, which is well considered uh, as the only high-end pastis. Uh, it's made out of 65 botanicals, Provencal herbs, thyme, uh, wild thyme, uh, rosemary, and a lot of uh, botanicals that grow around. And I said the the, the quality is is great, uh, but also some spices from all over the world. Um, uh, like uh, cardamom, nutmeg. Yeah, you can taste cloves. that. You can taste the cardamom in there. That's so. So, you know, S- Sam is the expert. I'm the uh, dilettante. I, the, pastis is, is is as old. In other words, it's it, an older product as absinthe. Was it? It was not banned. Absinthe was banned. Correct. Yeah, because the pastis doesn't contain wormwood in it. So before uh, absent, uh, people in Provence used to make pastis uh, with the with the plants that they had Got around it. and and anise. Uh, it's just that it was not a commercial drink. It was the absent, the commercial drink. It was pastis was a homemade drink. But when absent was banned, uh, pastis uh, replaced replaced it and became the most popular drink in France. And now absent is back, and absent is also drunk in France, but less than pastis. Which is the contrary than uh, in the rest of the world, where absinthe is more famous and also has a more, let's say, uh, funny history and and really uh, 
uh, interesting and, and sulfurous history. All right. Well, when we come back, I want to talk more about absence uh, uh, history and yeah. you know the thought that it was medicinal and all of that because yeah. it's really interesting and I I know you know all about it. So um, okay, so our next guests are the party goers, entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs. <laughs> Lee Phillips and Solomon Mangum founded Next Day Original uh, a couple of years ago. It's a suite of all-natural productivity and recovery products. They, they say it in a very fancy way, treating the core issues of hangover. In other words, if you got a hangover, you take Next Day, you're going to feel better. But guys, first of all, welcome to the show. Before we get into everything, give me a little bit of your, your background. Solomon, why don't you go first? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having us today. Oh, glad uh, to have really you. really excited. Um, so I'm Solomon. I'm from Atlanta, um, and I lived in uh, D.C. And, and, and back and forth between New York and D.C. now. Um, but I went to Howard University in D.C. Um, I studied finance and played basketball there. And then um, after graduation, working in D.C., um, met Lee um, at a consulting firm where we were working on uh, kind of marketing and sales topics for some consumer brands. And so we, uh, we had a close uh, you know, relationship there, and then we decided to go into business together with Next Step. Well, there's more to that story, I'm sure. And Lee, a little background on you. Yeah, sure. I'm from North Carolina. Um, I went to UNC for undergrad. A lot of drinking at UNC, for... right? Am I right? I'm, I'm sorry? A lot of drinking at UNC. There's a decent amount. Uh, <laughs> Halloween is, uh, is a big weekend, um, and then it's, uh, it's, a, it's a continued theme throughout. And then um, that tradition continued when I went to Charlottesville for law school. Um, we actually had a, a month called Feb Club where every single day in February there's a, there's a, par- a themed party. Um, to get through the doldrums of, uh, of the, of the cold months in Charlottesville. And then after, after UVA law, I headed up to DC, um, where I worked at, uh, the consulting firm and that's where I met Solomon. All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back to you guys and get into next day. Uh, this is David Nellis and Sam Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. We'll be right back. All right. We're back on Foodie and the Beast with David Nellis and my buddy, Sam Nellis, the bartender's bartender. Uh, and we're talking to Lee Phillips and Solomon Mangum, who founded Next Day. Next Day is cures for your common everyday hangover. And Sam, this will be of interest to you too. I know for your your customers. So, guys, what happened? Just for them. You were partying, <laughs> not for you. You were partying, and you said, "My God, I feel like crap the morning after. What do I do about that?" And that's how this came about, or something you know more scientific. Uh, I mean, that's definitely the. That's definitely the start of it, right, uh, is uh, we were actually on a client together in Milwaukee, and uh, we spent a night drinking until maybe 3.30 in the morning, wake up, uh, and I don't know if you, in the Midwest, they love their early morning meetings. So we go to this meeting, um, and we're at this meeting, and just thinking to ourselves, there's got to be a better way to feel good after drinking. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously one answer is to, to, to not drink and go to bed early, and we decided to look for another answer, and that's that's kind of how we uh, decided to start next day. So how'd you do your, your, your research? Cause you're not scientists, you're consultants. Yeah. I think it was talking to a lot of people, but I'll let Tom take that one. Yeah. So uh, you're, you're completely right. Um, we did try to make this in our bathtubs at home, but it uh, didn't work out well. <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. But, well, you got um, Solomon. You're supposed to clean the bathtub first. That's one of the problems <laughs> right there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We missed that key step. Um, but so we actually hired and, and worked with um, a food scientist, um, and so we 
you know, through, through conversations, as we mentioned, we spoke with a lot of folks that created beverages or were working for some of the large kind of multinational, you know, household brands that we all know and said, hey, you know, how, how do we go about creating something um, here? And so there was probably two pieces. One was doing a bit of research to understand what existing research was out there um, for solutions that could, you know, help with the um, effects of a hangover of, of alcohol. And I mean, we found a couple of clinical trials for um, one of our key ingredients, DHM, um, which showed that the the product actually helped. Um, and then we we found a few others that, you know, around certain vitamins or, or certain other ingredients that we have in the in the product. And we'll we'll go into our ingredients later. Um, so that was kind of the first prong. And then the second piece was actually working with the food scientists, as I mentioned. And so. Um, we actually went and, and worked in a lab and, and said, you know, how do we formulate the, the right drink using the right ingredients that can, um, you know, have a, a, a high efficacy. And so um, it was a, a couple of months process. Um, and I think that the pandemic lengthened that process as well um, in, in 2020. Um, but then we, we had a product that we liked and, and we've continued to improve it uh, since we've, we've had the drink on the market. Right, well, let me that. ask a question. A lot of people know what a hangover is. I don't know that everybody, I mean, to me, a hangover, if I, if, if I were to drink a lot of alcohol, it would sort of leach the, uh, the, the, the water out of my body. And that's what causes the hangover. I'm dehydrated. Is that what a hangover is? And that why that ergo the headache, or is it something else? There's actually a lot of things that are happening in your body when you drink alcohol. And so, um, your liver breaks down alcohol into a toxin called acetaldehyde, and um, is trying to process that toxin. And so you're right that dehydration is one um, effect of drinking, but there's also other effects um, that cause headache, nausea, um, and an anxiety that is uh, commonly referred to as hangxiety um, <laughs> after a hangover. And that's where, that's where this ingredient DHM really works. Um, I won't say miracles, but it, that's where it starts working is doing, um, making you feel better along those, those symptoms as, as opposed to just dehydration. We actually used an independent, um, an independent lab and we, um, you know, worked with them on what we had found in the clinical trials and then worked with them to say, how do we get uh, this into a drink? How do we make sure it's effective? How do we make sure that, um, you know, there, there are, there's another DHM, a product of DHM on the market, but you have to drink it uh, or you have to take it before you drink after you drink and when you wake up. And so one of the challenges that we assigned to our uh, food scientists was how do we make sure that, uh, you know, people don't have to remember to do all those things when they wake up and they feel bad. We just want them to be able to take our product. And that's why we called it next day because you wake up, you take it and you feel better. I, I will be honest. I could have used that in the earliest days of the pandemic. Uh, I don't know about anybody else, but when I thought the world was uh, crumbling around me, uh, I had a couple of mornings like that. This is nothing you should admit, admit publicly to your father on the radio. You know that, don't you? Uh, I've never had an alcoholic drink in my life. <laughs> of course. All right. Uh, Lee and Solomon, I don't know who wants to take this, but talk a little bit about the, the rollout of this thing when you launched, um, how you got on the shelves and, you know, how you got your first shelving space and now how uh, you're distributed around the country. Yeah, sure. Um, so we started this business uh, one month before the pandemic. And so our original plan was that we would go meet people face to face and give it, give it out to them when they were, they're feeling their worst. Um, and so, uh, you know, over the course of the pandemic, we developed a box that allowed us to ship um, 
ship the cans direct to people's houses all around the country. Uh, and then we've been talking to, we're in about 30 to 35 stores in the DC metro area on shelves. Um, and we're talking to, talking to more stores. And I think talking to stores has been easier as, um, you know, the pandemic shifts to being more endemic. Um, but, uh, it, it's certainly been an interesting journey given, uh, everything that's happened up as with basically every other business owner over the past, uh, past two and a half years. It sort of seems like it should be sold in bars too, doesn't it? I mean, if I have a night of drinking and, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking about getting plastered, but you've had a night of, you know, you're out with your friends and you, and you've been drinking. If you down a can of next day on the way home in the Uber or whatever, does that basically cover you for the next morning? Uh, it can. The one, um, and we're we're actually working on a second product that has no caffeine. But the current the current product we have has about half a cup of coffee. And for some people, uh, that caffeine is um, disruptive to sleep, and so it's designed to take the next day. And I think, um, like I said, I think we're working on a second product that will be caffeine free, and that will be perfect for uh, people at night. Um, that being said, some people aren't sensitive to the caffeine and uh, and can actually you know have one at at nighttime. I can tell you that with the number of espresso martinis we're selling, people are not concerned about care. caffeine at night. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you guys have uh, distribution now um, where? Uh, Atlanta, Baltimore, Chicago, D.C., Philly. Am I correct? Yeah. So we're, we're mostly on the East Coast. Um, we have a bit in the Midwest as well, but I think we focused on D.C. sort of as our home. Um, and we've expanded from there, um, and, and we're working on um, expansion into Florida um, as well. But All right. I think the DMV area would be the, the base for sure. And where are some of the retailers in D.C.? Because people are going to want to know that. Yeah, the, the, the specific liquor establishments um, that come to mind are um, Batch 13 on 14th Street, uh, Savon Liquors on 14th Street, um, and Angel Share, which is over on, I want to say, 7th and T. No, you're in the heart of it. And can can we direct order from and get direct shipping from you guys? Yeah, you can. It's uh, our website is getanextday.com. Wow. All right, brilliant. It's funny how how one morning's trouble can lead to an empire. <laughs> All right, congratulations, guys. Um, um, why don't you give the, give the website again? Let's make sure everybody got that because that's something. Uh, honestly, people probably want to have it on hand just in case. Yeah, sure. It's uh, getanextday.com. So G-E-T-A-nextday.com. Perfect. All right. Uh, Lee and Solomon, thanks for joining us. That was great. Appreciate it. All right. Let's go back to Antoine. Antoine, um, you know, I'm, I'm taking I, – I've never had pastis before. And um, – I don't, you know, I'm not He's a, a big, big drinker. No, no, I'm He's not. A really, he drinks all <laughs> the time. I, I don't know. I, I think Sam became a big drinker in, in high school. Everyone, living with you. Yeah, is, living you with know, Yeah, will make you drink. Only way to, to deal this with is, it. This is really, um, and I usually, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm kind of a beer guy, a beer and wine guy. The, the, the complexity of this is unbelievable. There's so many, so this many ingredients. I, I grabbed the tequila instead, but, <laughs> but um, that's complex too. Um <laughs> How old a drink? I mean, how how? I guess when was this invented? How how far back does it go? How long have people been drinking this? Best is for for a long time. At at least I I would say at least two hundred years. Um, ours is is really like the um, the hair of 
uh, all the passes our distillery have been uh, doing for hundred and well, not not for eighty years after the the, the absent ban, and so we have improved um, the recipe until really uh, that's my uh, my father in nineteen ninety really after years of of working on it launched the the, the perfect recipe. Let's say. Uh, to, to make this uh, Henri Bardouin pastis. Well, I'm going to flip over now because you mentioned the absinthe ban, and I'm curious. We were talking before, I think, during the break about how absinthe was sort of invented um, as a medicinal product. Yeah. Um, was the ban sort of just kind of hysteria where there were, the you know, because there was probably impure or not great absinthe that was causing hallucinations or that people were drinking because it was cheaper and it ended up affecting the entire industry or product line? As Sam uh, said uh, perfectly, uh, actually you had, uh, as everybody used to drink absinthe, you also had a lot of people producing it illegally. So making also bad absinthe that could be dangerous as any uh, bad distilled alcohol, you know, uh, making you blind or anything. The thing with hallucination uh, is uh, more legendary. It's more because there is a molecule called tujon inside of the wormwood. And this molecule in very high concentration can be hallucinogenic. But the fact is that you will need to drink a lot of bottles of absinthe to get really the effect of the tujon. And so in the end, it's much more the, the effect of the alcohol, alcohol that you have than that. But still, in people's mind, there was this molecule that created hallucin a, a, a hallucination. And as all the artists used to drink it, paint it, uh, saying that the green fairy... Um, will go out of the bottle to give them inspiration. I've seen, you know, yeah. I guess there are Art Nouveau drawings of, you know, the, 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 the green demon it was called, I think, in the one I saw coming out of the bottle. That's <laughs> crazy. Do you serve a lot of, at, at Silver Lion, are there a lot of absinthe cocktails? There's not, like, a specific one on the menu. Obviously, we make a Sazerac uh, on our menu that's absolutely delicious. Um, but that's the only one that really draws like a main note of absinthe. We do use absinthe a lot as uh, almost like seasoning, adding this nice little like top note of uh, anise on top of lots of cocktails. Yeah, there's an anise. I mean, that I'd every everything, no, everything, everything about France has a, the licorice uh, flavor to it. It's delicious. All right, let's move on. This is David Nellis and Sam Nellis on Foodie and the Beast. We'll be right back. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Bees with David Nellis and Sam Nellis, subbing for my wife, Nikki. And we have on the phone an amazing guy. He is a 2022 James Beard Award semifinalist for Outstanding Chef. He's chef owner Andrew Black of Oklahoma City's Gray Sweater. And if you Google Gray Sweater, your eyes will pop out at the accolades. And, the, and your salivary glands won't know if they're in a race with your eyes. Chef, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the introduction. So let's talk a little bit about your background. I, I uh, You were born in Jamaica. I'd like yes. to know how you ended up in Oklahoma City and how you ended up being such an all-star chef. So tell us a little bit so, about your story. So I was born in Jamaica. And the great thing about that, you know, sometimes people see or hear about Gray Sweater. They said, so you cook Jamaican food? And I'm like, no, it's totally different, totally not Jamaican food. So I grew up in Jamaica and my father's side of family are Indians. So I grew up with my grandmother cooking over wood, just, you know, back then we didn't know what organic was. 
And now that I realize, my God, we thought we were poor, but we were actually eating good because everything we formed the table back then, everything we grow, we ate. And um, I grew up in that culture. So I knew from an early age that I wanted to be a chef. Um, I knew I wanted to travel the world and cook and meet people. I just, as I said to people, I never had a second job. That's always what I wanted to do. So it started out with me cooking in the kitchen with my grandmother. And I left home because I was always curious. So I left home real early, walking to a hotel called Buscabel Beach Hotel. And I literally worked there two years for free, staying in the changing room. And the rest is history. They turn around and send me to college, a fall place, Ohio, Nelsonville, Ohio. Um, for those who don't know where that is, that's it's n- right. That's nowhere. It's caught, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's caught between <laughs> Athens and Columbus. Yeah, that's right still nowhere. That's still nowhere. <laughs> right. That must have been. Right. Yeah, I, the, it, does the phrase culture shock uh, come to play here? You know, I tell you what, on the, I think the first week was culture shock. And then after that, I started to have a, like best life ever. Right. I just made fun of it because there's nothing much to do. So that felt like just home where you just enjoy your surrounding. But anyway, I left from there and, you know, I have the opportunity of working all over the world. I was at the Peabody Hotel in Memphis, Tennessee. And at a point in my life where I was wondering, well, where can I go that no one cares who you are? You just work and you try to achieve your goal. And to me, Paris was the place I was working on and off at the Ritz in Paris. Oh, nice. And I wanted to go back there, and I got a call to come to Oklahoma City and open a, a hotel there called it's, the Skirvin. Yeah, the Skirvin. I like, I see that. Yeah, I was like, where the hell is Oklahoma City? What's that? It's right next to Akron. So, right. <laughs> you know, so I came down here with the intention to spend a year, and here I am 16 years later, and I've been really – I've been fortunate to open some of the major, not some of, actually the most major restaurant in this town. And I've always worked at the most outstanding restaurant everywhere I work, whether it's in the country or out of the country. So I opened a restaurant here for a company called Devon, restaurant called Vast, and then I did Flint for them. And I also opened a Park Avenue Grill in the Skirvin, and all these are historic landmarks. And, you know, it just came to the point where you work in corporate for so long and they always tell you, hey, do your best, give me your best. But when you give your best a person like me, you know, it's like, well, chef, you're probably out there too much. So I want yeah. to create my own dynasty, my own destiny. And more than anything, I wanted to create a space where everyone's voice can be heard. And so I opened a restaurant. Um, me and my business partner, Rudy Core, we opened um, Black Walnut and the Gray Sweater. Uh, my name is Andrew Black, and so um, the restaurant is located in Foreign Walnut, so that makes it Black Walnut. That <laughs> restaurant great. is based, yeah, it's based on your mood. Because believe it or not, when you wake up, you ask yourself, what do you want to eat? So it's not based on appetizer, salad, entree. Instead, it's based on fresh and light or saltiness, smoky. And that's how it's a neighborhood restaurant. That's how it is. And then, you know, the gray sweater, um, you know, I tell you, the gray sweater, I bought that name one night. I was sitting in a bar, a good friend of mine, Mara Rivera, and we sat in this bar till about three in the morning, drunk as a skunk. And Oh, wait, you then know, you, you need that next day product we were talking about. 
<laughs> yeah, oh yeah, definitely. That's what I was relating to when he was saying that. And so we have always talked about the gray sweater. And so Morris said, you know what, we should buy this name. And we bought the name, but we couldn't even remember how we spell it because we were drunk, of course. <laughs> and so thank God my email was correct. So they sent it to me. But the moral of that story, though, you know, I asked myself, what kind of restaurant I wanted to create? What kind of vision? What kind of journey I wanted to take my guests down? So the meaning of gray sweater, gray has no allegiance. Therefore, we have no allegiance to the food or the cocktail in the room. No matter what you fell in love with, we're going to move on. And the sweater is the most important part because the sweater represents the warmth of the service. Because at the end of the day, no matter how we made you feel, no matter the food, no matter how good it tastes, is how we made you feel. So that's the gray sweater. It's a tasting menu with source ingredients from all over the world. Um, we're in 10, 12 countries at any given time sourcing ingredients. It's 45 seats. We don't flip our seats at all. Once you make a reservation, we do an interview with you before you can come in and eat. And so when you sit down, we know everything about you we need to know. Uh, we offer a three-tier menu, five, seven, and 10. And they're all built in separate emotion, meaning they tell their own story. It's important when we ask you, what was the last restaurant you eat? It tells a lot of story about you. Um, you know, in fine dining, people tend to think it's going to be stuffy. They're going to be nervous. There's 10 glass, 10 forks. If you said to me, no disrespect, but if you said to me, hey, your favorite restaurant is Chile, and that's where you eat all the time, it tells me that, hey, I need to go really make sure you're comfortable in our surrounding and give you the best of the best, but make you feel at home. So our questions are geared up to how we want to make it, you your your experience just comfortable and seamless as much as possible. You know, Chef, I'll I'm, give you an example. Oh. We had a guest once was telling telling us, he said, oh, I got married in Germany and my God, we drank this beer and it was so fantastic and I never forget it. Well, when we're doing those interview, our ghost whispers, we call it, pick up those notes. So the guest shows up for dinner and we had the same beer that she had at her wedding in Germany. And she just started freaking out. She couldn't believe it. So in, the interview is very important. It's set to really personalize the evening for you. You know, Chef, I run into a similar thing all the time at the cocktail bar where people will come in. Obviously, we're not going to quite the same extent, but they come in and they say, what's your favorite thing? And I really feel like my favorite thing is whatever their favorite thing is going to be, not me telling them what they're going to enjoy, but rather right. finding out what's going to make them have the best night possible. Yes. And, you know, in this restaurant, there's no menu. So you don't see a menu. You don't get a menu. You show up, but you choose whether you want to do a five course, a seven course, or a ten course. So when you arrive, we know what course you're going to have, and the menu is already planned. But you never get to see a menu because the whole idea of that, I don't want a customer showing a menu and saying, oh, here's what I have. I want them to leave with that everlasting memory where they have to talk about it. This is. Versus taking a picture, showing it. Because what if you don't eat peas? And I sent you a menu and said, yeah, this peas course, you're going to be like, yeah, I don't know. Well, this but then is, you taste the buttermilk and pea, and you're like, oh, my God. Chef, this is, a, this is an amazing concept. And the fact that you can, I mean, because a restaurant's a business, the fact that you can make money, make a profit doing this uh, shows a special kind of ingenuity. Unfortunately, we got to go. 
Um, I tell everybody, first of all, tell everybody where they can find Gray Sweater online and in Oklahoma City. Well, you can find us in Oklahoma City online. You can go to um, graysweateropc.com. You make your reservation there. It tells you everything right there. Can't miss it. That's graysweateropc.com. Man, I'm coming. I'm telling you, I'll be there. Would love to host you. I'll call ahead of time for my interview. Thank you so much, Chef. Have a good one. All right, you too. Bye-bye. All right, take care. Antoine, back to you. The one thing we haven't talked about is where your products are available in in the D.C. area. Yeah, um, well, uh, just also just one thing about the cocktails you were uh, talking about. That's that's also, of course, an important ingredient uh, for cocktails. I will also suggest the green beast for the summer. That is really great or the traditional way to drink it. Uh, about where it's available on creonimporters.com, you can you can see we are in every state, we are in DC. Uh, we can follow us on Absent, Absente on uh, Instagram or, or Facebook. And well, our distillery website is uh, distilleryprovence.com. Okay, and you can also go to the list, are you on it.com and find out everything about uh, how, to, how to find Antoine's products. Uh, how to find uh, the, all the common plate hospitality offerings, present and future, and uh, how to go down to Silver Line and meet Sam Nellis and have a Sazerac, right? Yeah. Or something better. All right. It's been great. We've got to wrap up the show. Don't forget, everybody, that war in Ukraine is a mess. Open up your wallets for the, the people who are who are refugees. Open up your wallets for the, you know, for the children in particular. Uh, And don't forget about them. Don't get tired of hearing about the war. That's it. You'll find everything about the show on thelistareyouonit.com, Nikki's website. You can also go to um, federalnewsnetwork.com and find all of our shows uh, archived there. Sammy, thanks for joining me. You're welcome. You're a font of knowledge. Thanks. All right. Uh, Have a good week, everybody. 